Happy New Year to everyone. Thanks for tuning back in in 2024 to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Patchworks and hosted by me, James Gerd, and Paul Rogers. Uh, we bring you interviews of industry thought leaders, C-suite of tech, companies and retailers. And also we do talking heads around like interesting topics in the industry where me and Paul um, ramble on about what we're seeing um, in the industry. All we ask in return is you tell other people about the podcast, share or like our posts on LinkedIn and social media. And if it's your first time listening, please do give us a rating wherever you are listening to the show. Thanks. We hope you enjoy uh, today's episode. So we are doing our usual annual roundup. So doing the 2023 e-commerce platform technology roundup, talking about what we've seen in the industry, things that got our attention last year, tech that, that, that's that been trending, et cetera. Um, and I think the market context for this one is that uh, 2023 was definitely a more challenging year for e-commerce. Replatforming has slowed down. And that inevitably has had an impact on the ancillary technologies that, that normally go into replatforming projects, all the third-party apps and ecosystem. So the the year-on-year growth for um, software, e-commerce software revenue, um, dropped from 2022, between 2020 and 2022. And although growth's been a bit higher um, this year, it's still expected to be significantly lower than it was in 2021. So I think growth was about 23 24% in 21. In 22, it was 11%, and this year is expected to be around 16. And there's been lots of things impacting it. We've had high inflation, uh, currency exchange issues, turbulent economies, and that hasn't bottomed out yet. And you know, we've got a, a electoral uncertainty coming into next year as well in key markets like UK and US. So we're expecting that that turbulence to carry on a bit. But also, one of the key things has been the continued growth of physical commerce, which we'll talk about in a minute. And that's obviously had an impact on e-commerce growth uh, in certain verticals and its impact in budgets. So I think that's the key market context. Paul, anything you want to add in terms of like the overall context for e-commerce this year or last year? So. No, not at all. I think the only other one is that brands and retailers aren't performing as well as they were over the last couple of years, obviously. And I think um, Q3 in particular was pretty tough. Um, Q4 better, Q1 very good. And so I think that would be the only other thing where people just aren't, you know, I guess, um, uh, forecasting the growth that they were sending and then as much money. Yeah, exactly. I've definitely seen a slowdown in interest in, in, in uh, big CapEx projects because people are inevitably wanting to, to push that and see what happens, uh, doubling down on, on like the operational side and trying to drive sales, margin, profitability, et cetera. Um, so the, when we were talking about this episode, and we thought, like, how do we structure? We're going to talk about a big trend, key platforms, uh, third-party apps and tech um, around it, um, and then an L- a-, a section on B2B towards the end. But the the big trend that you flagged, so do you want to talk about it first, is about omni-channel being back. And this there's an inevitability towards this because obviously the pandemic, sure, store physical retail shut down. Then we've had a, a slow uh, return initially after we came out of lockdowns into 2022. And then in 2022 and 2023, it's really picked up and more people are back in store. And it doesn't mean e-commerce has shrunk, but it means that the growth rate in e-commerce has been hit because some of that spend pattern has been switched back into physical environment. What, what, what have you seen across your client base? What are you seen in the wider market? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I think... Um... Omni has become more of a focus again. And also we work quite a lot of brands that have never done physical retail before, but now see it as a really interesting channel. And I think part of that has definitely come for, I think one is, you know, it can be a really good brand awareness channel. Like if you were a fashion brand that's doing really well, like we, there are certain 
uh, locations where you know that if you put a physical store there, you're going to reach you know a certain customer and that's going to really help you uh, build your brand. But I think the interesting thing has uh, recently is that the cost of opening stores has gone down where you know rent has gone down. Um, obviously other costs around it has gone up, but the actual kind of, you know, rental agreements and things like that have gone down. Um, and then the cost of acquiring customers online has gone up. And I think, uh, the other thing is one of the biggest trends for this year that we actually don't have in here, but we've kind of both hinted at a little bit with what we've written down is measurement and data. And I think particularly online and particularly with where the way the market is, a lot of people, uh, essentially wanting to spend less on top of funnel activity um, unless they can really measure the impact. And I think physical retail stores, if done well, are actually pretty measurable. And, you know, you know that you're going to attract a certain level of new customers. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, as people are trying to kind of broaden what they're doing to like build brand awareness and acquiring new customers. Um, I think physical retail has been really interesting and that's probably more specific to the types of brands that we're working with who are like yeah. fashion brands that are at a certain level but have uh, typically grown online and maybe via wholesale than via physical retail. Yeah, I think that's a really important element, that wholesale one, because the D2C brands, because the online growth is is contracting and they're starting to see that actually you know for, to, to hit those big future growth numbers relying purely online is not going to achieve that therefore they're experimenting with different different physical retail opportunities so you've got the pop-up stores which are popular there's a lot of us brands that have they've done i mean in the uk as well um but yeah the wholesale bit i've seen is interesting because it, it's 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 being embraced by small medium and big business so I've, I've worked with some smes where they've really pushed the whole channel whole i can't even speak the wholesale channel and interestingly, they're, they're starting to listen and talk about having people within their business whose role it is, is to manage those accounts and not just from the, the those wholesalers from the physical store selling point of view, but also from the e-commerce store point of view to maximize um, digital store revenue and digital store uh, product visibility. So I, I, those roles have, have typically been the preserve of, of like big consumer brands who, like for example, big brands like Mars is working with online grocers. But actually now I'm seeing it in other areas like fashion, beauty, where people are starting to listen and think about having those expertise where previously selling online uh, via wholesale was send them the product information, fulfill the orders, but there is no strategic relationship between the e-commerce teams. Um, so yeah, that's it's definitely interesting to see how that's going to go next year. I mean, the predictions are that that, that wholesale piece is only going to grow rapidly next year anyway. I think um, it is an inch. I mean, again, we didn't really touch on this, but that's kind of triggered me to think about some things that came up in our like review of Q4. And I think, I think wholesale is at an interesting point, but it just differs at like different in different areas of the industry. So I think uh, someone like Next are flying at the moment. Um, obviously, they've just bought Fat Face, who we work together with. Um, but they're also just doing lots of really smart stuff around multi-brand. And actually, so I believe they're going into premium uh, early next year. And a lot of our clients are already talking about it and they're propositioning it really well. Obviously, people like Farfetch and uh, Matches have been uh, widely reported to not be doing particularly well. So there's a gap there. Um, I think M&S are doing similar things as well. And some of the other um, kind of retailers are starting to look at doing similar things. But I think, the brand, like the retailers or the multi-brand retailers like ASOS, 
and a number of others at kind of that level um shoe some of the other ones have been so aggressive with discounting recently and i think one of the biggest things that i'm hoping next year i think that we'll see next year is some of those businesses will really struggle because as a multi-brand business i just don't see how they can discount that level when their margins are relatively low um and acquiring a new customer for those businesses is like it just can't be profitable. So I think that'll be, we've obviously seen it with some uh, multi-brand retailers already, but I think that'll be, I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes and whether more big retailers will go under as well or at least face challenges. Yeah, and I think that leads us nicely on to, um, let's let's cover the B2B and wholesale bit because it this obviously links into the technology piece and a B2B, it, Commerce growth is outpaced B two C, and it definitely feels like the platforms have um, taken B two B a bit more seriously in terms of feature rollout. Uh, we've we talked about the SaaS world and big commerce have made real gains um, in B two B capability. They they were they went significantly ahead of Shopify in that by by the acquisitions. They, you know, bundled B two B was a while back quotations, but they've. They've ramped up the, the the customer portal, the invoice portal. They've improved processes for like payment uh, and settlement of multiple invoices. You know, centralized purchase workflows. All the stuff that a B two B think lean in business needs and wants to see in a platform, but through a modern interface. So it's not like you know really clunky old school green screen stuff. So they, I know Big Commerce is is new customer acquisition in the B two B space has been really good this year. I'm you know, working on it potential project with them at the moment and I still see that as a really strong offering. But the the technology I think has has democratized this a bit because it's it's simpler for businesses with a B2B commerce arm to launch sites and to manage that and have really good self-service and sales um uh tooling as well. But the, so then let's flip to the Shopify because I find this interesting. Um and you can talk more about this but Shopify have definitely sharpened their tools around b2b when it didn't look like it was a, a key part of their strategy or roadmap but they they've acquired fair the b2b marketplace they've announced more features where where do you see where do you see this from a tech point of view where do you see shopify being in like you know in 2024 um yes yeah, so i think shopify uh invested in fair uh which is interesting but i think the biggest thing is more around how they're looking at targeting or growing their b2b market share and i think they've similarly to how they approached international i think for the last couple of years they approached a company called handshake uh, sorry acquired a company called handshake a few years ago no one really knew what was going on handshake became a wholesale marketplace or handshake.com became a wholesale marketplace um, and then there wasn't really too much talked about it and then i think that team has then gradually been merged into other teams and then they've kind of built out the fundamentals of B2B and the core platform, but I think they've approached it in a similar way to international where they've kind of been working in the background to like retroactively um, build some of those features into their core platform. Um, so things like price books, the, you know, uh, entity of a company, stuff like that, um, you know, they've been working on. And I think now they've got to a point where their foundations are really strong within the core but there's you know they still got a lot of catching up to do around you know kind of building around that ecosystem um you know 
building out some of those kind of core functionalities to be at the same level as a big commerce or you know even adobe whoever else um but i do think they're you know they're releasing a lot of functionality very regularly um there's a lot coming next year that was announced at the enterprise summit in la um, and i think they are very uh they, they want to be very aggressive in that market but i think it'll be interesting because i think b2b is harder so shop five obviously well known for being exceptional at marketing and fairly strong at the commercial side but i think b2b is slower i think you know a lot of people working in b2b and manufacturing aren't going to like the big industry trade events so yeah i think it i think it will take longer for them to like really push it but equally you know if they go and win a few massive ones then they're definitely making progress. But yeah, I think that I think they've still got a way to go until they're kind of, you know, really competing against some of the big platforms. But equally B2B is pretty disparate. So it's uh, it's very different. It is, and from a technology point of view, there is so much choice now. Um what for me the the, the big shift is that yeah. for SMEs, the SaaS B2B products are mature and really nicely and have really robust functionality. At enterprise level, it often opens up a different discussion because you, um, especially if you're in really complex industries like manufacturing or plant machinery, where you have really complicated sales cycles, like huge configuration and real complexity around the product model and the pricing, then you often need greater degree of customization and deeper data models. And then you open up all the big enterprise players. Uh, and there are many of them, whether that's a Salesforce, a Sprite, uh, you name it, you keep going. Um but yeah, B2B, definitely wholesale B2B, I think is going to just continue to grow. Actually, it's expected to grow quite sharply and then continues to outpace B2C. So I think those those businesses out there who are brands wanting to sell to wholesale channels and want to improve automation and want to improve tooling, now's the time to go and look at the market because take a look at, uh, you know, if you are a B2C store on Shopify and you need a basic B2B wholesale channel, that's the path of least resistance. If you're not already on a platform like that, then you need to look at the likes of, of big commerce, especially Shopify's, you know, other platforms like Centra, Headless out there, which have B2B capability, are really locked down, which is going to give you the, the, the fastest speed to market for a proof of concept store. Um, you'd be surprised sometimes actually how cheaply and quickly you can you can launch a basic storefront um, with a decent customer experience. But let's continue the platform theme. So let's talk about overall platform market because obviously you know, we spend a lot of time looking at platforms and doing replatforming projects and selecting technology. Um, it definitely feels like, let's do that the headline. Let's get the elephant out of the room. It feels like it's been Shopify's year. Um, is that a good thing? Here's my question. So Shopify is, from a marketing point of view, they are smashing it. The way they are positioning the roadmap, how they're investing, you know, what was it, over 3,000 developers, I think, or something like that. Their pace of change has gone up massively. We've talked about this before. They've they've gone through and identified the key reasons people think Shopify is not suitable to bigger businesses and gone, let's remove this gradually. They've still got work to do around multi-store. They, you know, it's still not up there in, in terms of like nice capability in the ways like a Salesforce or Adobe might be, but they are getting through that quickly. Um and it feels that now in a, in a certain type of um, uh, RFP that whereas it used to be which two or three platforms you look at, there are people starting with, we should. is there any reason we shouldn't be on Shopify? And I think the mindset, in, in especially in brands, seems to have shifted. Um, so do you, here's my question. Is it a good thing that Shopify is becoming so dominant? Or are we going to see the next well, Salesforce? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I didn't want to the next sales floor. I think Shopify is very different to anyone that's ever been in the market. I don't think we've ever seen anyone with their market share. Um, in You know, they've got over 3 million stores. Um, I don't think we've seen anyone with their resources. So they've got 4,000 developers, of which 2,000 are focused purely on R&D. And I don't think we've seen anyone growing at the rate they're growing at. Um, but what I do think will be interesting is where it leads because I see Shopify becoming like I think there will be niches that Shopify won't be the market leader in. And I think they already are. And I think even if you look at, you know, for certain types of brands like right now, Accentra might be functionally a better fit or, you know, in enterprise, someone like a commerce tools could functionally be a better fit. But I do think Shopify is becoming like a mainstream operating system to a certain extent. The thing that I think would be interesting is like, and I think the other thing is they're making a lot of quiet moves, you know, like you said about Fair before and Shopify Collective and, you know, they're improving POS, they're building more order management into the platform. It almost feels like they're, you know, going like this and actually, you know, four years time in their world, do they see a brand having an ERP or, you know, are they, have they got a bigger share? Like, I think there's a lot of question marks over that. Yeah. And I personally see it as, I think it's interesting. Like, I do think they are commoditizing. And I think there's pros and cons to that. I think I like Shopify. I love what they've done for e-com. I think they've enabled a lot of brands to grow and build better experiences and everything else. But the only thing is they have made some fairly aggressive moves in the past, particularly around tech partners. You know, they obviously, in certain places, the platform doesn't necessarily advocate choice. Um, and I think they are going to be very dominant. I personally, you know, I think a lot of people have seen Toby talk and kind of see his vision. And I think, I do think they'll commoditize a lot of stuff and they'll bring the barrier to entry down. You know, I think they'll go low code and then allow for complexity or even no code and then allow for complexity. But I think that, it's a good thing, but there there's definitely risks with Shopify getting to a certain level of dominance. And I think they will control, they could feasibly control the ecosystem a little bit. And I, like, it's interesting when I speak to you about this and other people, it's like a lot of people think Shopify are going to like increase their costs a lot in the future, whereas I don't see it like that. Mm-hmm. I see it more as like, it's almost like everyone's on Shopify. That's not where their income comes from. It's more they'll make more money through everything that needs to be active in the ecosystem. And yeah, yeah, I think it'd be. I guess, I guess, I guess because I because I always I do the dull side of projects, right? I look at all of the the operational, the the process, and um, within which the governance and the risk charts and risk management's a classic thing. And I, in the back of my head, I have this. We've seen it before where build an audience, monetize the audience, build an audience, monetize it. I know Shopify yeah. are, are going through that process of monetizing, driving profitability out of payments. And that obviously there there are cost implications to using payments and the benefits that gives you on their ecosystem rather than using a third-party gateway. But I, I, I would not be surprised if at some point they nudge up that, that core platform license fee because they've got a long way to go in that license fee before, even with the additional yeah. work you have to do on Shopify to you know, f- achieve some of the things that maybe you get natively um, out of the box with a, like a Salesforce and Adobe. But um, 
the cost model is still significantly less. We've looked at it for like a 300 million plus business and we know it's significantly less. So there's wriggle room for them to go, do you know what? It's 0.25, it's it's 0.3%. 100%. So yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Like you're more closely connected and you don't see any talk of that. But I think businesses need to need to factor in what if those costs go up when they're thinking about their cost model because you just never know. Completely agree. And within the contracts, there are, you know, they have room to do that. And I think they probably will do it at times, but I don't think that'll be their big play. So yeah. I think it'll be more, yeah, yeah pay to play in Shopify's world. It's funny, isn't it? Because when we started this podcast in 2019, I was definitely, um, I was less in the Shopify camp than you. And I, I thought Shopify's good, but I saw it as a more basic platform. And I thought it's got lots of potential. It's great for DC brands. I've definitely changed my viewpoint. I think, I mean, Shopify is, is strong in so many areas now, although there's a lot still to, a lot of nuance in some of the, the, yeah. the like omnichannel and multi-store processes. The only thing that I have an issue with is the way that I see the leadership in some of their social activities, especially on LinkedIn, where they are evangelical about Shopify's best for everything. It's right for everyone. It's the cheapest for everything. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more nuance in that and, and less... I get a less evangelical attitude because I find that dangerous because it's not the right platform for every business. Uh, if it was, you wouldn't need other platforms when you bloody well do. And choice is important. And I think encouraging choice rather than shouting or shooting down um, alternatives is more positive for the industry. So that's my only bit of caution around Shopify. But yeah, overall, their year, very impressive um, roadmap and, 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 and future plans for Enterprise for next year. Um, Composable. Let's talk about um, about that because I think in 2022, the the amount of noise and PR around composable, composable Mac, composable was huge. And you had, and we know of a few projects which went down a fully composable route and burnt a lot of money. You know, one which I think sacked off well over a million pounds before it pivoted to an alternative tech. And I'm not denigrating composable or Mac um, as the problem. But evangelizing things and pushing things to businesses where they're not prepared for it isn't a good thing. So we've seen a slowdown in the number of new projects going down that full route. And people, I, I think I've seen people approaching Composable as a strategy of, I want a flexible platform where I can easily isolate and retire elements or I can integrate specialists, their parties, but I don't need to build everything from scratch and create my own package business capabilities from a completely composable stack. And and therefore build things that actually exist in, in most platforms that I can just turn on. Um, are you seeing the same? Do you think do you think um the 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 focus around composability and what um, and who it's right for has shifted? Yeah. So I think that I think we've got a really similar view on this. We obviously talk about it all the time. I think that the fundamental process and you know thinking around composable makes complete sense. And I think the technologies that we're probably thinking of uh, when we talk about um, maybe coming down market when they probably shouldn't have, uh, I think have probably shot themselves in the foot a little bit because I think they're fundamentally good technology, makes complete sense over here. But I think what's happened is where the market has been not struggling, but just not been as you know strong as it was, they've just come down here. And then now you see these like, you know, enterprise solutions that are built purely for complexity, targeting one million pound brands. And I think that's been the problem. And I think there's then been a number of failed projects that have then led to some of those platforms not being seen as positively as they have been in the past. 
I think the Mac Alliance is really interesting. So that was a big part of the composable movement. I think 18 months ago, two years ago, even a year ago, I would go every CTO I spoke to just wanted to be involved in the Mac Alliance and, you know, wanted to learn more about the Mac Alliance, wanted to invest their budget into the Mac Alliance. Whereas now every CTO I speak to, and this is really, really interesting, is just talking about SaaS and, you know, how SaaS benefits businesses in different areas. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the same principles around composable are still there, but I think people are looking to invest maybe in different areas uh, than they might have been two years ago. I think, you know, complexity was like, as, you know, the sensible make before and like actually like building IP around being able to build, you know, um, customize to your requirement. Now it feels like people are more, looking to use solutions that do a high percentage of the work and then invest in the areas that are going to grow your business or bring you new customers or whatever. Yeah, definitely. This leads on to our next point, which is the um, that integration layers are trending again. Not that they weren't, never went yeah. out of fashion in terms of usefulness and projects, but um, I definitely felt that for a couple of years, there were fewer of my clients talking about it or, or putting the time and effort into it. But actually now that... Uh, specifically in the SME space that I work in, where we're talking about businesses at the, like 10 million to, to 50 million, um, that because they want to get to a future state of composability, but they, that, you know, they're not going to invest in something like a commerce tools because it's just not right for them. They don't want to have that level of, of, of control and, and complete and utter flexibility. But what they want to be able to do is put themselves in the position where in the future, when they need to plug in a new system, e-commerce that they have that isolation of back end and front the the front end commerce piece and that they have that ability to do data transformation through that integration layer so that they don't have to heavily customize commerce or you know, god forbid do customization work in erp which is always more expensive time consuming and risky so i've definitely seen that and you know i the the bigger business I work with, it seems to have been Saligo and MuleSoft are the ones that are, every single project those are the two that are in there um, but the SME space, I've seen patchworks come back into a lot more conversations. And we've had conversations about this in the past. And we think that their last 12 months have been really stellar. I think Jim Herbert, since he's got it, has, has made a massive difference. They're, they've sharpened their focus on the roadmap. They've improved um, you know, the, the capabilities. They've added more connectors. They put that visual ed stuff for creating data flow. So they're helping to create this low-code, no-code ability. Um, it's very rare that anything's no-code. But... Um, but yeah, it's just it, it feels like it feels like more smaller businesses now are buying into the benefit of using an integration specialist like that, um, rather than trying to just rely on out of the box connectors and then a integration partner doing custom development. Are, are you seeing the same? Do you think it's fair to say that integra- integration's sexy again? I think it's definitely. I mean, yeah, I think so. Like a lot of particularly like some of the bigger businesses I've worked with have definitely like you know invested budget in trying to use one system to pass data around you know all of their systems uh or like one solution to pass data around all their systems yeah definitely i think i completely agree on the patchworks piece um you know i think it's yeah crazy the impact or you you're assuming it's all jim um but has had over there and you know they're doing a lot around partnerships a lot around positioning like i think they've yeah had a really solid year as well I don't think you've got niche players. I think, I mean, there's just a, I mean, I completely agree with anything you said. The only other thing I would say is like, 
There's also a lot of like random small players in that market um, that charge an absolute fortune. Um, but I think the, the really interesting thing that I think around this space is like, it'd just be interesting to see where it is in three years. Um, because I wonder, I wonder whether one, I mean, like we saw Shopify, uh, you know, build out their connectors a couple of years ago, NetSuite and, uh, that are like pre-packaged connectors for like D365, NetSuite, um, Manhattan, a few others. And I think, um, I don't think they've taken off. I've never known anyone to use them. It'd be interesting to see if, and there'd be a good reason. Bubble, cause I know. Yeah, good reason they're like everything. Because every time someone uses a default connector, they realize that the 80% yeah. it covers is is the easy stuff. Any custom data flows, um, any custom data um, uh, like um, values that you need to pass or any transformation work, then all of a sudden the connector doesn't work. Um, and then the cost to yeah. add on I mean, the customization. Yeah, exactly. And I do think someone like some of the like um, integrated.io solutions, which is Saligo, as well some of those aren't really built for like customization and stuff like that but i think it will be interesting in three years or so to see whether there is a lot of movement towards no code because i think all of the front office solutions are just have invested in building like well-documented best-in-class apis but all of the back office systems every single one like still doesn't function in that way so it'll be interesting to see how this moves forward because i think Two years ago, I probably would have expected that this area wouldn't have been as big, but it is. So, yeah, yeah. interesting to see where it's at. And, and to be honest, last year, I wouldn't have expected in 12 months' time, I'd be sitting there saying, I'm really impressed with Patchworks. And I don't mean this to call them out specifically, yeah. but I think they definitely had, they dropped the ball on some of the, the, the way that they approach projects and the way that they handle like specs and documentation. But thank, I mean, it's good. It's good that they've, good that they fixed that and that they're now, back and the product stronger um and as we say in all elements of the e-commerce market competition is good and when when strong players drop off and it leaves only a few left i think that can create a little bit of um laziness when it's easy to win business so it's good to have healthy integration spark it um now let's talk about the third um i'll end it, we'll do the third party apps bit in a minute um but next thing is new platforms so we've talked about a couple of these before now it's really interesting because you, you look at Gartner's quadrant you look at Forrester's wave and I think they're useful to keep an eye on what those big consultancies are rating and how they're moving around in their quadrants or their wave definitions and it's it's really interesting to see proprietary platforms like THG Ingenuity in Gartner's quadrant and they seem to be trying to, to fix some of the, the concerns people have had over the roadmap and the, the operability of the platform so again so that's always used to know but the big changes this year uh are two platforms we've had on the podcast so number one is centra um and number two is scale so i know centra's done really well they they won paul smith which is launched b2b um uh with with ed and the team at lime shop and bc's coming q1 next year they've got h&m group and me and m so they've they've they got some big profile clients so what, what what's impressed you about um centra um, and why should I, I guess why yeah. should UK businesses be looking at them as well? Yeah, so I really like Centra. You know, we've I evaluated them quite a long time ago, and I think they were really strong then, but they were very very niche. Whereas now, I think you know they've 
they picked up some amazing brands. Like those ones are all massive wins in the UK, but they've also won like Samso in Denmark, who are an amazing brand. And then they've got this like, because so many people come into this market. You look at shopware, um, like you say, Spryker came into the UK market for B2C a while back. Like there's loads of others that kind of just come out of nowhere. But their portfolio, particularly in fashion, is insane. Like, you know, our legacy, Sandvist, there's so many others. And I think that, one, they've built a really good ecosystem of like creative focused agencies that have the engineering teams to work in the headless uh, area. So I think that's uh, really good. I think they've built a solid feature set specifically for fashion. And I think now they, they seem to be doubling down on the kind of order management and Omni side, which they know their major competitors aren't strong in at the moment. Um, so I've just been a really solid platform for fashion. I think... And I've been said this to them before as well. And I think you'd say the exact same thing. The thing that they need to do is, you know, a lot of brands aren't necessarily, or they can be scared by headless. Um, and I think they need to uh, essentially like uh, address that head on. So they need to show the benefits of being headless and, you know, how some of the brands that they're working with, like the nudies and Askets and whoever else are benefiting as a result of having like more uh, openness in the front end um, and the, the stack they've got. Um, but overall, I think they're really solid actually. And I think they kind of sit really nicely in between the SaaS players and the, you know, like best of breed or like, you know, composable platforms. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I really what what impresses me about them is the philosophy and attitude, and they are very collaborative. And I, I I love working with technology partners who are collaborative during the process of a build, even though an agency is doing the build, and they are adding value and they are listening to the clients. And I guess one of the great advantages Centra have being focused purely on fashion and lifestyle is that there is commonality in terms of feature demand, and they get that great ability that when 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 a couple of big customers say we really need this functionality. Maybe it's something to do with, with the omni-channel and stock visibility and ordering, or maybe it's a merchandising. It, they they are quite responsive in, okay, we'll, we'll put this into our roadmap. And I think that's a, that's a massive benefit if you're a potential customer looking at a vendor of how can you influence it? Because you can't do that so directly with, with some of the bigger players like a Salesforce. Yes, you have customer success teams. Yes, you get to get feedback, but Unless you're one of the massive fish, it's very hard to directly get something influenced so quickly in a roadmap. So I do like that. The other platform that that I've been um, quite impressed by, actually, and and although it's a completely different proposition, is Scale. And the reason why I think it's worth flagging, and I know we did the episode with it, and some of you might have listened to the episode. If not, go and do have a listen to to um, the the founder story and to Rico Adlos, the the um, solution specialist, because they're interesting people and they're very knowledgeable. But they grew out of a five billion e-commerce retailer about you. So they are e-commerce people who've built a, te- a proprietary technology, grown it to five billion euro business, and now spun that tech out into a platform and now have hived that off into scale as a separate business, running platform as a service. So all of the capability that omni-channel business needed including things like you know, the full omnichannel ordering and uh, management into you know, order management um, end-to-end. Um, it's got a, 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 a PIM, not not comparable to some of the market leading PIMs, but it's got decent solid PIM in it. It's got lots and lots of capability. And interestingly, from a license point of view, 
because it's targeting 100 million plus businesses, it's 0.5% versus like a sales force, which is typically around 1%. So it's got quite an interesting cost model on top of having loads and loads of features. And I think it sets a specific type of business that wants something that a platform that provides a lot under the hood rather than bringing in lots of extra best of breed. Um, so very different to to the SaaS like Shopify's big commerce, which is all about apps and an interconnected ecosystem. This is more about lots of core functionality. So yeah, I I have been impressed, and I I also like their philosophical outlook um, and how they approach clients. I don't know what you've made of, of scale this year. Yeah, so I haven't seen it as closely as you have. Um, you know, I've obviously listened to podcast and. Um, I've spoken to them a couple of times, but they seem impressive. The other thing that I've definitely noticed is that they're very well connected because, you know, a lot of people are talking about, uh, um, yeah, very quickly. So I'm intrigued to hear more about them. I think, um, and then the other one would probably be Shopline, which will be interesting to see how they get on next year. So I think both of that, I've certainly only seen bits of it. Um, I want to do an episode with them, uh, but they are massive in Asia um in certain asian markets so yeah i'm quite intrigued to see how they kind of go to market next year but they are picking up a few deals and i have started hearing about that more and more yeah agreed i'm i'm intrigued so and we obviously know um so deepak and, uh, and david who went uh, across from big commerce there they're, they're smart guys and they know the industry inside out so i'm intrigued on that gtm stuff as well but i'm also intrigued to see how shopify is it because at face value in terms of how it's positioned and marketed it seems very very similar and it's got its own payments etc so i want to, I, i'm really intrigued to get under the hood and see where the points of difference are and what type of business it's going for and the other thing is yeah. as proprietary platforms because there are there's a couple of platforms out there where they they provide a, a platform and they provide the professional services and they build um that probably don't get spoken about uh, um as much but are, are solidly going going along and acquiring not solidly that's the wrong way to do it, but um but less vocally going away and just doing a really good job of maintaining their customers and acquiring new customers and so the likes of like visual soft to get an honorable mention but remarkable commerce is one that i see quite a bit of and i've been really impressed by what brad and the team over there are doing they they really do know what their customers want and they focus their roadmap on it so they've added some really cool stuff this year around trigger promotions they've put a dam in as well for the cms they've done the open ai integration i don't know open ai and you know chat gpt stuff is table stakes now and platforms but it's good to see these platforms that don't have such big development resources the likes of a shop for a big commerce putting this stuff in place for their clients um they've had marquee wins as well including um hotter shoes and m&co so they're, they're winning some really cool new clients as well as main they've got really good retention rate for existing but what i love about it is they've got a really interesting roadmap coming in 2024 so they're adding they have a, a really good um uh like um page builder cms already in the platform native for those who don't want to invest in a specialist third party um, and they're adding personalization in 2024 so i'm going to be keen to find out a bit more about what that means and what level of personalization but i think that's a really smart move so you're yeah, really really impressed with these platforms in the face of really stiff competition from businesses that obviously have deeper um r d and marketing pockets are, are still doing really really well and it's great to see that in the industry um so absolutely. how about Sorry, were you going to say something on that? Yeah, the last one I was going to add, I was just going to say Commerce Layer. Like, I think um, given that they often go head to head with the, you know the Commerce Tools and the other, some of the other ones, I think they've been winning some good brands, and also they seem to be in a lot of the big 
tender processes. So I've been really impressed with that. Uh, Rafa, I think, was this year. That was like the big one. And we obviously have, we've had them on the podcast. And yeah. Commerce there. And, but yeah, I've just been quite impressed. Like I haven't actually seen loads of the platform, but I've been quite impressed with how they've been like chipping away um, at the market, to be honest. I think they'll um, probably do fairly well in for certain types of businesses over the next year or two. Yeah, they, and from from when we looked to them and, and the way that Felipe position is, they're, they've built a, a, a headless solution for uh, engineers, right, for engineering teams. So yeah. if a business has its own in-house resource and it wants to have greater control and it wants to drive a lot of the development, it's a really well-aligned platform. Um, yeah, interesting. Now let's do let's do our final bit, which is like third apps, other functionality around the core platforms, what's hot, what's not, and... Let's start with what hasn't been hot, and I'm delighted by this because it really wound me up in 21 to 22 how obsessive people were talking about this. Web3 and Metaverse, like how everyone's going to hang in the Metaverse, everyone's going to shop in the Metaverse, and I know there have been some successful brand collaborations. Um, I know that that some of the big consumer brands and fashion brands have done some cool things, Um, but but basically it, it, it started off, I don't hear anybody... And this is probably a reflection of the type of business I work with. But I don't hear anybody talking on any level about wanting to put any investment in this. Like, are, are you seeing it? Is anyone in across your client base? Like, not. Um, I mean, some areas of Web three. I think some, you know, Web three technologies are used in place in places, and maybe some of the, like the gaming stuff. But no, not at all. I mean, I was really excited when it came about, and like, there's a kind of stuff people just looking to do because it was all so new, but. Yeah, I think as some people predicted, um, it has uh, just kind of, yeah, doesn't want to be honest. And I think, you know, we don't have any clients that are really, you know, looking at like NFTs or some of the other areas that, yeah, people were looking up for. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I had a personal dislike of it simply because I work with a few businesses, like brands who who hadn't got their basics right and weren't willing to spend the money on fixing it for their customers and stuff that people really want. I better search, better merchandise it. But instead, we're quite happy to go and invest in some like absolutely bonkers NFT scheme, even though they had no idea whether their customers actually had the technology to. It's just I found that mental. So, so I'm not I'm not denigrating it entirely, but I'm very glad that that the initial hype and the self interest that was driving that hype has died away in a lot of e-commerce. Um, the we talked about live shopping about how. It's. I, I still think it's got real potential. I think. I think if businesses look at it and understand it as an event management and marketing piece rather than just an e-commerce technology piece, that they might they might be able to 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 get some proper pilots working. So I've seen some good case studies over the years with with beauty and fashion where it's really driven good good sales volume and it's div, div, uh, encouraged people to shop wider across a product range um, by doing it. But it hasn't really gone anywhere. So I I'm going to put my head out there and say. I reckon maybe next year we'll see something in this, but I'm not. I'm not overly hopeful because I'm not hearing the chatter anymore about it. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it's still massive in Asia, and I think that's where a lot of it came from. Um, and I think you know TikTok still want to play on it as like you know a big part of their long term vision. Um, but yeah, I think in order for it to become like the norm, like some of the bigger brands will need to you know, focus on that, I think, with drops and new launches and all of that, which, and I think that's the thing, like, there's just not enough 
people doing it for it to become more mainstream, but I agree it's got loads of potential. Um, what have I seen that's hot this year? Loyalty has been the big one for amongst my clients, and loyalty should always be important because we should be rewarding people for shopping and encouraging them to. But I think what I've seen in 2023 is more businesses investing in specialist third-party tech platforms. So that whether that's a Yotpo or, you know, there are lots of different loyalties. There's Smile, Yotpo, et cetera. Um, but thinking beyond basic points win prizes, which is, for me, it's a very lazy form of loyalty, is every time you spend, you get some points, get a discount at the checkout. But given the fact that, that retailers discount like crazy anyway, it kind of gets lost is, okay, you get an extra 5% off, but when you're being given 10% here, 15%, or, you know, buy two, get one free, all this stuff, I find that just basic points doesn't really land and you've, you don't seem to get such great redemption. I've seen a lot of loyalty schemes where people have just got points and they're not using them because they've tuned out. And the more of my clients are looking at tiers, how they reward people through behavior to move up the tiers to get better perks. And the perks aren't just product-based. They can be like free content. It can be events. It can be like you know anniversary gifts. Um, and But then the, the big thing is people are now finally working, well, not, not, not um, obviously some were before, but more people are now realizing that you've got to tie this in with other areas like reviews. If you want to take reviews seriously, you've got to try and reward people for that positive behavior. So looking at all that way, all the ways that customers um, define what what is valuable to them and then packed it, packing that into loyalty. Um, I know loyalty was my big one. You said CDP. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, I think these two kind of uh, are a bit intertwined. So I think uh, a lot of our clients are basically, obviously retention is a massive focus at the minute. It always has been, but it's even bigger at the minute. And then I think a, a lot of our clients have one of the number or one of the big things or one of the big objectives going into their roadmap is uh, first party data. Um, so I think there's different strands to that. So a lot of our clients have rolled out like membership and uh, or VIP and they've tried to essentially get more people building accounts, more people giving them more data as part of an account build process or as part of a, some level of process. Um, and I think that together has been one major trend. Um, and I then think, so essentially to capture more data. And then I think that and more complex businesses wanting to invest in data has led to more people looking at CDPs. So we've definitely seen that as a trend. Um, Clavio's new one has also put it on a lot of people's radars because there's a lot about to entry and a lot of people using Clavio. Um, and then you've obviously got other providers that are, you know, more specialist and maybe a bit more advanced. Um, and then the only other one that I was also going to bring into that same grouped uh, thing was, uh, I think a lot of people are trying to plan for more changes around cookies and privacy. So things like, you know, if you look at Solomon in particular and how they uh, proposition the account and it's like the base level of loyalty, but realistically, they want more data, one for personalization and CRM, but also for tracking purposes. So I think um, that's the other one that I would kind of like tie in together. But I think, yeah, those together are, are a massive trend at the moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and the the other one that I would pull out 
is the social commerce and TikTok shop. That seems to be in in especially in DC brands. Everyone, I don't work in in, in pay media. I know you guys do. That's a cool part of your agency side. But everyone I talk to, um, TikTok shop is on people's minds, um, and TikTok seems to be really doubling down on this. I know, like in the US, they got the partnership with ShipBob to help businesses to be able to like use ShipBob's fulfillment engine and network centers so they can, you know, DC brand DC brands can quickly launch on it and have all of their uh, order management done. I, I, I know you've talked about TikTok integrations being really important to a lot of your businesses. Have you seen, has this been consistent across all different industries or have you seen this focus in specific areas like fashion? So I haven't seen much around TikTok shop. Um, I think a lot of our clients are still thinking about Instagram shopping as something that will get bigger. Um, and I think a lot of our clients use, t- but they do, they are taking TikTok very seriously for brand awareness and also as an advertising channel now. Um, but I think it will just get bigger and bigger, to be honest. And like uh, Duyong in China, which is part of the same company, or in Asia, which is part of the same parent company, like, you know, that's massive part of their strategy. And I think it will come to TikTok and our markets. Um, but I think the other interesting one will be Instagram. And like they recently removed the shop tab, which was surprising. And a lot of our brands, have, or at least one in particular, really complained about that. Um, but from what I understand, that's still a big part of their plan. But I think it's like, I feel like everyone knows this is going to get big, but they just don't know when. That's kind of, uh, or at least everyone thinks this is going to get big. And I think yeah. TikTok seemed to have more of a plan than maybe Matt to do, but... Yeah, it, it's such an interesting area, but I just haven't seen enough uh, traction yet. But it's just, um, yeah, you assume it's going to be massive. I find it interesting because it, social is not my area. I, I deliberately moved out of it a while back oh, wow. because it's it's so nuanced and complex and you need to be on top of it day in, day out. And uh, I'm a Luddite in my personal life. Um, haven't been on, on well, I still got Facebook for about six years. Um, and I'm quite happy about that. Uh, right, so let, let's stop there. Hopefully, this has been useful for people. This is basically our our basic download of what what we saw in twenty twenty three, what we thought was interesting, you know, key technology trends. Um, fire in the comments wherever you've been reading or watching this. Let us know what what else have you seen. What were your key technology takeouts from twenty twenty three? What do you think is going to um, really take off in twenty twenty four? Anything we've talked about you don't agree with? Um, call us out on it that's cool we, we we like listening and we like having a debate uh, and thanks for listening keep your ear open for your next episode and we look forward to you uh continue being a listener in 2024 take care everyone for more information on this topic head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts to discuss a project or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.